Are you ready, ladies? Stand tall. Straighten those crowns and show them what you're made of. You're listening to the Farm Queen Podcast. Welcome back for your chance to get to know about another farm queen. This week, Antonisha joins us and she has a beautiful mission of building her brand around beauty products to maintain a safe, clean, and natural way of expressing beauty and to encourage all women to appreciate and embrace their own natural beauty, both inner and outer. Her farming efforts are not only focused on providing for her family, but also to provide clean, high quality, natural, organic ingredients for her products. And what really sets her apart is that she's actually doing this from an urban farm, which is definitely different than a lot of the past queens we've had. So Antonisha, welcome. We're very happy to have you join us this week. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so honored. (laughs) So why don't you take a few minutes um, and introduce yourself, you know, in your own words and tell us you, your farm name, what you're doing on your farm, how long you've been at it, you know, how you got going. Give us kind of the picture of a day in the life for you. Okay, so my farm name is Afika Farm Fabulous. And um, I basically um, grow a lot of herbs and flowers for um, my beauty care products. I just incorporate um, those into my formulas. Um, I started off as I'm originally a cosmetologist. So that's how I have like the hair and the skin background and I want it to be more sustainable. So I thought, huh, I should, you know, be growing my own ingredients and, um, started off on this journey and I got into Groundswell and was able to get training on being a farmer. I do have farming background in my life. Um, my great grandparents, You know, their parents, you know, farmed, had a farm in Alabama. They migrated up here to New York State. And we've been in Syracuse ever since. So I grew up around gardening and eating fresh foods. And, you know, they would still haunt and different things like that. So I do have that instilled in my maternal and paternal side of my family. That's a very long trip to get up here. Um. And I'm sure that the uh, the growing experience is completely different in Syracuse versus Alabama. That had to be a learning curve to adjust to the climate difference. Yes. <laughs> so what is it that um, what is it that made you sounds like, you know, you had the background, but what is it that made you want to do the farming for yourself then? Because, I mean, if you grew up around it, you knew that it's hard work and everything and a lot of people shy yeah. away from that. So what made you decide, you know, I got to do this Um both for the food aspect and then also what is it that made you decide you wanted to grow these ingredients for your own products? I mean, cause a lot of people would just, Oh, well, I'll just buy it from somewhere. But you know, you're saying, no, I want to grow it myself. What prompted that? Okay. So first I'll tackle the, you know, the personal because, you know, um, I believe like the food quality isn't as good. You know, I don't know what they're doing with the soil, you know, from my training. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned that, you know, the nutrition of the plants lie in the soil. And so um, just eating a lot of foods that I buy, I feel like 
the nutrition level wasn't there in the produce. And also it was just like the chemicals and everything coming from so far away. Um, I just wanted my family, you know, just to learn, get back to our roots and also nutritionally wise, you know, to mm -hmm. be able to grow your own food, healthy food, know what you're putting in the soil and to, to make your body, you know, perform in the way you needed to perform. Um, far as like beauty care products, you know, on a business aspect, when you, you know, I think COVID really showed me um, the issues. That when COVID hit, it really showed me the issues. Prior to, I knew I wanted to do it, but COVID pushed me into doing it. Uh, mm. When you need certain ingredients for products and a supplier don't have it, and your supplier is in California, you know, or Kansas or Canada, wherever it is and things shut down and you can't get certain things and you have to not sell that product. So it's right. like, it's a disappointment to your, your customer and, you know, and different things like that. And then on the other end, it's like, okay, these, these companies say they have these practices, but do they really, you know, cause you, you find out a lot of these companies, they didn't have these practices and there are all these issues and stuff like that. So, it was just, it was sustainability, you know, um, being more local. And also, I know what I'm going to do. I know that my soil is healthy. I know that I'm using organic matter. I know that I'm not using pesticides so that my plants can perform how they should perform and help the client in the way that they're designed to help the client. So that's what you know, there was an issue. I wanted to solve it. And, and that's why I'm here now. That makes sense. That makes sense. I love how you mentioned that too, of, you know, the sustainability matters. I think a lot of farmers would agree with that. Um, the quality control is a huge thing, I think, because, you know, like you said, yeah, that, you know, I mean, how many times has it come out that, oh, you know, we said this, but it turns out we actually use, you know, herbicides, even though we said we didn't, or, you know, there's, yeah, there's been times where that's come out and, and not necessarily just in, in beauty products, but in the foods too. And, you know, there's always that question of how good is this product I'm getting? And so I love that you care enough to say, you know what, the way I make this the best is that I do what I believe is the best and I grow it myself as opposed to hoping somebody else is doing their best. So I think that's a really great a really great perspective to have as a, as not just a farmer, but as a business owner. So mm -hmm. kind of a, along with that, obviously, like we mentioned, you're growing this in more of an urban setting, you know, you're not working with a hundred acre, you know, lavender field or something much as we might love to. So what kind of, uh, what kind of difficulties has that been, um, you know, to get started as far as having, you know, a totally different kind of landscape for your farm? Um, I guess it, I want to say it was totally difficult. It was just because I've worked on farms. So it's honestly, I like in the ground better. I'm working with raised beds now. Right. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. I saw but, that. Yep. Yeah. So it's different. You know, um, I foresee purchasing some acres, you know, in the next few years, um, probably like year or so, but you, you do have to adjust. So you, you bring it in soil, you know, from credible sources. 
You know, right. um, you bring it in compost, you're digging holes, like my roses, um, I got like eight roses and it's um, eight, I think it was like, what, six different kinds or something. So we had mm-hmm. to dig like shallow graves, we call them. <laughs> <laughs> we had to dig shallow graves, like two feet down in the ground and five about almost six feet in length, okay, Mm -hmm. for these roses. And we had to take all the old dirt out. We had to take everything out, everything out, and fill it with new dirt and new compost and everything. So that in itself is just dedication. (laughs) Yeah. To show you what you're doing, like, in an urban setting. You know, the things that you have to go through, it, it's right. not just, okay, we're going to get the truck, we're going to drop it off, and then we're just going to put the compost or put, you know, corn stock and soften up the soil and different things like that. You have to bring it in. And and, right. and it's mapping too, like your, ra- your raised beds have to be mapped out a certain way, so many inches apart from each other, just to have the space to be able to grow. And then your the plants as well. You know, so it was it was different for me. It really was, but I was able to see what I preferred. Um, you know, comparing the two, it was way more work doing the urban because of the setup and so much things that you gotta come that you that you have to do to prepare it. You know, versus being on a already existing farm or just getting a soil sample or something like that and just tweaking from there. Um, so it, that was, so I could say, yeah, it was a little bit more, you know, now that my memory is reminding me of what we went oh, through, no. you know, <laughs> it is, it is a little bit more intense than like, you know, regular farming on acres of land. I, I would do a hundred feet beds before I really construct and create this again. I prefer that, honestly. Yeah, I was going to say that it's got to be like you mentioned, uh, you said it perfectly of you can't just, you know, well, here's the land. It's been used for farming. So it it might be kind of, you know, at least approaching the right kind of soil nutrition because it's been farmed before. You know, somebody might have applied fertilizer or organic matter or whatever. But yeah, if you're if you're in the city, it's it's a pretty good assumption that a soil test is pretty much going to tell you start over and, <laughs> and do exactly what you did of get new stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that does not sound like anything that many people would want to do. And and yet here you are, you've done it. So we applaud you for for sure the extra work to get that going. It, it ter- certainly speaks to your dedication to what you're doing. Well, I can't I, I do want to say that, you know, um, I just want to put that out there, like, you know, being a part of um, Groundswell Farming Training, I did meet great people. Like, you know, my teacher, you know, my teachers mm-hmm. were great. My instructors, um, Giovanna and Holly, they were great. Holly continued on supporting me all the way till still this day. Meeting Krista, you know, um, one of my farming um, cohorts, he, he still helped me. Like, I was able to build relationships, so I had support, you know, helping me with this. Had I, you know... I don't know if I would have tackled this on my own if I didn't have support because it it really was 
a lot to do, you know, um, on my own, being a single mom and stuff like that. So it was a lot. And I, and I think I just have to give them a shout out if I didn't have them, of uh, you know, Matlock and, you know, just Holly and them. And I, I don't know how I would have been able to do it. <laughs> No, I hear you. That concept of having a community around you and and having people to whether it's reach out to them for questions and knowledge or whether it's just support on a tough day, whatever it might be, that community aspect is huge. And yeah. that actually is a great thing for you to have mentioned. I had another question for you. Um, we did notice when, you know, getting to know Krista, um, that it looks like you were part of her quarter acre for the people program. And I was curious how that program um, might kind of tie into what you're doing now? Um, Quarter Acre for the People, she is doing wonderful things with that, helping um, BIPOC um, families access land. Um, basically, you know, for nothing. She's getting, like, I think, donated land or a land at a discounted price and mm-hmm. um, forming a collective. So, Right now, we are working on a project that is on, um, what is it, Zero Horn Creek Road out in Danby. And mm-hmm. that is going to be an intentional, like, um, farming community that me and a few other people are a part of. So it's just a work in progress, you know, it was like, Figuring out ideas, getting housing, you know, um, just building infrastructure, uh, bylaws and different things so that there is a understanding, you know, a clear understanding of everybody's roles and, you know, your own personal goals as well. Because you want a person to be able to still do their own things and be a part of a collective and, and just sharing resources and stuff like that. Right. And that, I think that really ties into what you mentioned before of the importance of community too. That that sounds like a very cool project of, you know, you can kind of, like you said, housing, you live together, you work together, you're all working on the same mission. And I got to imagine that there's a certain, um, certain fire for what you're doing that, you know, has a better intensity than if you're doing it by yourself, because you know that you've got those people to lean on to like, Hey, we're all chipping in. And maybe some days we're not going to be able to chip a hundred percent. We'll be at 90%, but there's other folks there to help and and kind of keep it moving at all times. And that sounds like it's going to be a very cool thing when it's done. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I think we've got a a pretty cool picture of you and your farming background and your passion for, you know, like you said, local and sustainable and and high quality and everything. Um, I'd love to know what is it that you know, you said you had the cosmetology background. So what is it that made you decide that these products were needed to be um, from a more like organic kind of standpoint? Because you've got your brand that you've got your beauty products and everything. So tell us about that a little bit and, and kind of why you felt like there was a need for that. Um, when I started to be more like aware and conscious of my lifestyle, my lifestyle changed. And, you know, with lifestyle changing, you really, you know, want to educate yourself on the best things for you and your family. And when going through that process, I realized that, you know, most of probably more, more, about 100 percent of our products were toxic. 
not only toxic, they were causing like, you know, health problems, which now are coming to the forefront, um, which you'll see mm-hmm. with relaxers. Um, you'll see hair dyes and um, just linked to all kinds of fibroids and cancers, you know, um, ovarian cancers and different things like that. And especially it was a lot within my community because that's the community I can speak to. Um, and I didn't want that no more. I felt like, okay, I am a, you know, a beauty ambassador, basically. I'm a cosmetologist. I'm supposed to, you know, give them not just the best hairstyle, but I'm supposed to give my clients products that going to do the job, but I felt like they were chemical. So I needed to change that. I needed to really be more, be held accountable for what I was doing once I became aware. So I had my own salon at the time and um, I decided to stop doing relaxers, pressing, and I started creating products based off the need. And it just started with like hot oil treatments and pressing oils and um, curling puddings and different things like that for, um, you know, curly hair people who just wanted to just their curls to be more defined. So I just focused on, you know, the need in switching it up a little bit and also educating people of why you should transition out of this chemical like world of beauty. So when I create, I always wanted to create on in a place of being honest, having integrity, um, making sure that I'm, if I wouldn't put it on me, why would I put it on someone else? You know, just lead it by example. So, and that's where I made that shift. And I'm, I still follow that to this day. Like people were like, come on, let me get, I'm like, absolutely not. No, I'm not doing it. You know? so that's that's where I came in at, and I just wanted to be a change. I wanted to influence people to live better, not just eat, you know, um, internally. So that's why I say inner and outer beauty. You know, eventually we're going to go into like teas and different things like that and, you know, having like supplements and stuff like that, because I think that's a major key of your outer beauty is your inner beauty, you know? Absolutely can't have good skin if you don't eat the right foods you can't have you know healthy strong hair if you're not nourishing where it's growing from absolutely I love that you are so steadfast in that that if someone it sounds like if someone asks you for one of the traditional chemical products we'll call it you tell them straight no Um, and I love that you have that personal mission that you say you know yeah it's my job to make you look and feel beautiful but I will not do that and do what you feel is, is compromising their health. I, I think that that's yeah. absolutely outstanding that you're like that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So I would, I would love to know how it felt when you got crowned as the farm queen for this week. I was surprised. <laughs> I, you know, I was surprised. I was very humbled, you know, honored. Um, you know, I haven't been doing it that long. So you feel like, oh, in order to be a queen, you you know, you got to have at least, I don't know, a decade in the game or something, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> so 
I was. And I was like, you know what? No, don't do that. You know, just enjoy it. Um, that That is a big honor, you know, for Krista to think of me in that way, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So it just, it, it makes me, you know, think, okay, you're on the right path, you know, of doing what you're doing. And, and this is just stay there and just keep, keep going, you know? Absolutely. I mean, and we've, we've, I think talking to you so far, we've really painted the picture of how, I mean, from your very core, you are absolutely beyond dedicated to what you're doing and why you're doing it. So I, I don't think there's any question that, um, that you are deserving of that, that recognition of your passion for what you're doing. Absolutely. Um, so we kind of touched on this too, that, you know, the, the farm Queens, obviously we're, we're acknowledging women that are farming, that are passionate about not just the farming for their families, but for going above and beyond, like we talked about. And so given, especially that you're in a very unique situation of that urban farm, and you're growing the stuff for your own products, what are maybe some misconceptions that you've encountered in regards to what people think of women in agriculture? Like you obviously at some point tell people, yeah, I grow these, these ingredients myself. Um, You know, you might refer to yourself as a farmer in conversation. And so like that's, that hits people a certain way because they don't usually expect women to be farmers. So what kinds of things have you come across that have been like kind of the reactions for that? You know what? Actually, I haven't. Really? Yes, I haven't. You know, um, the things I hear more, and maybe because it's where I am, you know, and um, when people, when I say that, they be like, wow, my my grandmom was. Like, I make them think about their childhood or people in their family. That's really interesting. So you're in a group or in a in an area of people that really relate to that and they're not surprised by it at all, huh? You'd be the first one. That's really cool. And it could be because of the migration, you know, like a lot of us here migrated from the South, you know, Midwest and places like that. So they grew, they, their parent, they come from that. They come from, oh, my grandmother used to can. Like my clients, they'd be like, oh, my God, I remember when my grandmom used to can, you know, and different things like that. They'll ask me, do you can? I'm like, no, not yet. I don't want to kill nobody. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a little bit nerve wracking to learn it. But then you think about how many generations survived on it. And it's like, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can handle it. Because my family did can, you know, Mm -hmm. um. And I just think when the stores and stuff came into place, it, it just kind of took that art away in certain areas or with just certain families too. You know, things became more convenient. Their households wasn't as big anymore. So they didn't have to do, you know, a lot of that right. type of caring for food anymore. Um, so I don't, I, I always get, you know, the, they remember. You know, they, I, I, I provoke those memories of their childhoods and those stories and different things of their grandparents and grandma, what they used to do. That's really so interesting. 
Let me ask the follow-up question then. Do you feel like since you are coming across a lot of people that are saying, oh yeah, you know, my, my mom, my grandma, my whoever woman in their family did that. Do you feel like maybe that's something then that is a lot more common than perhaps people expect, but just nobody's talking about it? Like they're not volunteering it. They're just like, oh yeah. And they're responding to you, bring it up. But is it maybe like just not mentioned in the first place? Just not mentioned because, you know, um, I found out over a year ago, my maternal, my dad, his grandmother will be my great grandmom. She was on his dad's side. Um, They're from the Bahamas. So she did all the farming. My granddad, you know, she was my granddad's second wife. He brought her from the Bahamas to Florida because they both was from the Bahamas and she did all the farming like she taught him how to do everything she was the person so it's like in my life it's always been women who grew the the food who grew the plants like my grandmother she's still living she was the grower her mom my great-grandmother she was the grower and Mm -hmm. their men just helped you know Ooh, I love that. <laughs> that is hunted. such a cool story. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, they hunted and they, you know, worked the equipment and stuff, but my grant, they grew everything. They were the growers. That's so cool. I would love to know. I like, I hope when people hear this, I don't know how, like on social pages or like send us an email or something, but like, I would love to know how many other people share that kind of story of like, oh yeah, my, my grandma, my great grandma, my whoever, they did the work and, you know, grandpa was just there to run the tractor. And she said, you know, plow here. Cause I'm going to plant this, get the rows ready for me. He did it. And then she did the rest. I would love to know how many people experience that same kind of dynamic in their own, in their own upbringing. That's so mm-hmm. cool. And I love that you're carrying that on too, because you're being a strong woman that says, I'm going to go do this. I'm a farmer. I'm not, you know, there's no shame. There's no like, oh, don't tell people about it. Like, this is me and this is what I'm doing. And and you're honoring your legacy and everything. That's so cool. That is so very cool. Food, we, you know, we grow it, we prepare it. Um, We, we feed our families, the women. Mm-hmm. That's, that's who does it, you know? Um, not to exclude men, they help us, you know, we, we need both, you know, but that's, right. that's a part of my legacy. That's within, on both sides, mom and dad, it was the woman that just knew they just, they just knew, you know? Right. And even if they're not the ones out there digging in the dirt, they're the ones doing the canning and having to keep the family alive after they eat those canned foods. So they had to do something right. Yes. Oh man. So in terms of what your customers think about, you know, your day and your, and your, sounds like you got to be busy between growing the ingredients, making the products and doing the work at the, at, you know, the salon and everything. Um, What is one thing, if you could tell your customers right now, what's one thing you wish they knew about your life as a farm woman? Um, I would say that that I really love the mornings. I really, like some people 
would be like, you know, that morning time, they'd be like dragging, like, oh, dragging. <laughs> yep. I really like anticipate waking up, getting the water, um, just walking through doing, you know, doing that check, seeing what plant needs what and watering them and sitting there eating my breakfast after I water. Like mm. my, you know, people, when I tell them that they be like, what? <laughs> right. You don't roll out of bed and suck down coffee first. You mean you actually get up and you want to go nope. work? Then you come back. I, I work. I get up in the morning. I take my shower. I I go straight to get the water, fill it up, do my walk through, check everybody, water them. Then I have my breakfast, and I just sit there in peace and just enjoy them. And then I'll finish out my day, and then I'll go to the shop to like, you know, see what what I need to do as far as like products and different things like that, and doing paperwork. So I always, my day starts in the garden first. Oh, that sounds like a dream. I love that. I love that. I wish I had the same kind of mentality of get up and go enjoy it. Cause I'm one of those wake up and be like, Oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely not a morning person, but that did actually make me think of something that, you know, obviously here we are. I don't know about where you are, but I'm looking out my window at some snow sticking around still. And we're not quite to growing season yet. So how does that um how does that factor in for you in terms of the products you made and you know obviously your growing has got to be somewhat limited you know your roses are not going to be blooming in in January without some hard work and greenhouses and whatever so how does that affect um in terms of like your schedule i'm imagining that you either have to like grow a huge abundance to kind of plan out for product availability when it's not the growing season around here or do you have to, you know, find a partner supplier for those off months? But I, I just was thinking about, you know, you're talking about going out and growing things and watering and I'm going, well, how does that work then in kind of that off season? That's got to be an extra hardship to try and work around. So um, that's what I, I was able to like really figure that out last season and um, how much will yield, but I'll know a little bit more this season well I don't know a lot more this season because you know that was when we first got the garden started mm -hmm. you know well the farm started that's when we first got it started so it was every, things were a little slow um but I usually harvest I, I usually like harvest and some things I was able to get an abundance of and other things I wasn't able to um I did have a reputable supplier for like roses that mm -hmm. I um deal with. So I I have like those roses and rosebuds on hand for certain products um that I need. But I did decide um that I'm not going to stress the plants. So my products are going to be, you know, unique items. So once there's no more plants, the season is done. And I have exhausted what I have. We won't sell that item because I didn't want to. I just don't want to abuse the plant. I can't, I want the plant to go through right. its natural cycle. I don't mm -hmm. want to force that. Um, I have enough of product 
to like sell. And then when things pop up again for the season, then we'll put it back on the market. So that's my part of my business plan um, to do it like that, just so I'm working in alignment, you know? So that's how I I, I just don't want to stress things, you know? I, I want it to do what it's supposed to do. I think when you force plants to do like over harvest in certain areas, I think there's stress. I think I'm, I get stressed when I'm (laughs) over exhausting myself, you know? So, and I think about the plants, I'm not going to act like we're so far distance and we're not connected where they still, their feelings are displayed a lot different, but we can see it when they're stressed out or when they need nutrition, when they need water or the environment just doesn't seem the best environment for them, they'll show us that they're stressed. So I just decided to fall within nature where I am and the climate. And when there's no more, there's no more. And whatever I have, once it's gone, it's gone. The product is gone. And it'll come. Philosophy. Mm -hmm. I love that. So yeah, I just, like I said, I was thinking about that all of a sudden realized like, wait, we're not in, you know, a year round growing season, but the fact that you're planning your business to kind of, it's not necessarily the right word, but we'll call it like budget your products for how much do I need to grow to last the year. And you also have that caveat of like, sorry, customers, when it's out, it's out because I'm not going to, you know, basically abuse this living thing just for the sake of having product available. That's a very, very cool perspective. I love it. Mm -hmm. So what is it that keeps you going when things get hard? Because, you know, we all have stress. You're obviously a business owner and got a heck of a busy schedule going. A lot on your plate, a lot to coordinate with growing everything and making products and running the business and the paperwork and all of that. What is it that you find is the, you know, kind of personal encouragement or whatever that keeps you pushing, that keeps you going, that keeps you from quitting? I love what I do. Simple <laughs> I love as that. it without praise. I, you know, I love it when it's hard. I love it when I can't figure it out. I love it when things seems like it's falling all apart and no one on the planet can help me. Mm. <laughs> I still love it. I love it. You know, and I and I think that once I I found this love, it doesn't matter. You know, it's like you you're just going to hold on to it you want and you just want it to work and you're willing to do whatever it takes whether it's going right or not. You're just going to figure it out. Because you love doing it. You are a rare woman indeed. I say that as <laughs> as as complimentary as I can. That I don't know that I know many people that love something so much that they say, you know what? Getting through this challenge is what's going to get me through this challenge. <laughs> that's, that's so special about you. I love that. <laughs> so for anybody who like me is sitting here thinking like, man, I got to know about these products and I think I want some. (laughs) What does she got cooking next? 
for following along and getting to know you and, and supporting your business, where can people find you online? Or in my person, website, because that too. You know, it's thepeakappear.com. That's my website. Um, I also do a newsletter once a month. Um, just, you know, about uh, women things and what we go through and just some encouragement, you know. Um, so I'm on there and I'm on Instagram. My Instagram is a Fika Pure Artisan and Hair Clinique. Um, that's where I'm at, you know. Yeah, definitely. This has been so great. Do you have any last words of wisdom or encouragement for the future farm queens listening? Um, I would just say, you know, just love it and don't be so hard on yourself. We don't always have all the answers right then and there. Um, take moments to breathe and take care of yourself because often we don't take care of ourselves because we're always taking care of everyone else and everything else. So I would just say, just take time to like breathe, you know, and, and then the answers will find you, you know? Mm-hmm. Very well said. All right, Antonisha, thank you so much for doing this. We're so glad to have had you on here and hear your story. Thank you very much. Thank you guys for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support our podcast by clicking the link in the description, by subscribing through your favorite podcast app, and by following us on your favorite social media platform. 